welcome to worship uh, on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, I encourage us to um, allow ourselves to um, focus on God. And I hope that we come together in worship in anticipation and expectation that we will encounter the presence of Christ in our midst. I hope that we come with open hearts and open minds in expectation that the Spirit will speak to us on this day just as powerfully as the Spirit spoke to the disciples on that first Pentecost Sunday, um, empowering us and shaping us and sending us forth to make a difference in the world. Let us join our voices together as we sing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen. I invite you this morning as we uh, prepare ourselves um, to continue in worship, I want to invite you, uh, especially those who are online, uh, this, this being Pentecost Sunday and the birth of the church, I want to encourage you to share with one another by chat or in the living room where you may be, um, share with each other the church where you grew up, um, the, the church community in which you grew up, and um, what kind of a difference did it make in uh, your life? Um, and so I just invite you to uh, share that now. And you all are invited to do the same thing. All right. Thank you all for sharing that. I actually began going to church at a General Baptist church 
um, just a mile or so up from the neighborhood in which I grew up in. I don't even remember how I ended up there because I went by myself without my parents. Um, I remember a gentleman by the name of Connie Federal who uh, seemed like to me he was 102 years old at the time, but he was probably, uh, probably about my age. He was probably 60 at the time. I thought he was a lot older than that. Uh, but, uh, but he brought me my first Bible, and eventually our whole family started going to church, and we ended up at a United Methodist Church, Grace United Methodist Church in Poplar Bluff. Um, and um, it uh, certainly shaped me and formed me, as I'm sure the churches that you grew up in um, shaped you and formed you. And hopefully, Samuel, the church you grew up in has shaped you and formed you. <laughs> you don't know which one it was. <sighs> I don't know, Samuel. We're going to have to chat afterwards. Um, anyway, I do also want to remind us about uh, the peanut butter and jelly collection that we are doing for um, the um, food pantry. I want to encourage you to drop that off at the church. And, and I believe this week we are going to open up the church um, Tuesday through Friday, at least in the mornings, just so we're going to start to try to reopen the, the church, uh, but um, instead of being closed on Friday, we're going to have it closed down on Monday, okay? Um, and then also, um, beginning this week, we're going to send out a weekly email, we're going to send out on Tuesday instead of at the end of the week, and so if you are not getting an email or you don't get uh, something in the mail, please be sure to call the church office or send an email to the church office, uh, give us your email address, so that we can be sure that you get the weekly updates about what's going on in the church. Things like the peanut butter and jelly, and what we're doing with the village, and, and how we're doing with worship. And so please uh, make sure you sign up to get that, so that you're aware of those things. As well as funerals. Oh, yes, thank you. Because um, as we, we have been... Uh, we have been so focused on communicating what's going on in worship, I think we've let some things slip through the cracks, like uh, funerals and births and some things like that, and um, we uh, realize we need to do better at that, and so that will be also included in that Tuesday update and email, okay? Um, anything else I forgot? No? Okay. All right, let's go home. Oh, wait. Let's, uh, let's uh, join our voices together as we uh, sing, Breathe on Me, Breath of God.
Amen. Thank you. I invite us to um, prepare ourselves for prayer, and as we do so, I do just want to remind you of a, of um, uh, folks that we have lost in the last few weeks that um, hopefully everybody is aware of, but we want to keep these families in our, in our prayers, certainly. Francis Simmons, uh, Janine Heisler, and Bill Sharp have all passed away in the last um, two, three weeks. And so uh, we want to keep those families in our prayers now and as we go forward. The other thing that um, I think we ought to celebrate in prayer today is uh, this week, I think it was this week, um, I don't know about you all, but are all the days running together in the midst of this um, um, whatever, this pandemic where, we, where our schedules are so messed up we don't even know what day it is. But, uh, but this week... Um, we delivered the first letters to the village. Um, and I don't know if you're aware, there are 88 residents, I think, 88, uh, 90 residents at the village uh, that we uh, sent cards to that were filled out and, and sent to them. And they got them, as I understand, they got them as they gathered together for dinner. And uh, the feedback that we got was, how it was just awesome. It received so awesome. There were a few folks who actually said, um, it made their day. Now, I just want you to think about that. Uh, a simple note um, that lets folks know that someone is thinking about them, even if they don't know who that person is, how much of a difference it makes in the lives of folks, especially folks who find themselves in the village or nursing homes or places like that where their interaction is even more limited than what we have experienced. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to fathom. Um, and so um, I want to encourage you to continue to participate in that. I know there's a group of folks who are uh, working on making some flowers um, out of paper plates, and that's what we're going to do next. And then I know that um, the outreach team is also working on organizing a barbecue for the employees of the, um, of the village. Um, and we are committed to adopting them not just in this pandemic, but as we go forward from here. We are committed to adopting them and being in ministry with and alongside of them. And so I invite you to watch uh, what we're doing, join in in what we're doing, um, and um, celebrate this day of the difference that we have made by simply sending cards um, to a group of folks. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God. Send your Holy Spirit upon us this day. On this Pentecost Sunday, may we experience the power of the Spirit in the same way that the early disciples did. May we know your presence without a doubt, and may we be empowered and emboldened to do the ministry you call us to do. We celebrate, Lord, uh, simple things that we have done to make a difference in the lives of the folks at the village. And we lift them up in the midst of this pandemic that uh, there would be others who would surround them with love and who would reach out just to uh, connect with them. Help us as we continue down that path that we um, may make those connections in um, greater ways uh, so that um, we can truly make a difference in their lives. We pray for the employees and for um, all of the residents of the village this morning. We pray uh, the same upon the nursing homes in our community and their staffs, staff and um, upon the veterans' homes. 
Help us, Lord, to continue to look for creative and inventive ways to minister to the folks within our community. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, that in this time where our rhythms seem to be so disrupted that we might create new rhythms that will point us and draw us to you. Rhythms that find a space for prayer and for scripture reading. Rhythms that find time for us to reach out to our neighbors, um, either through phone calls or talking to them across the street or in whatever means that might be. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this, Lord, that we may minister and comfort those who have lost loved ones, that we can let them know that we care and that we embrace them so that we might be your hands and your feet so that they might experience your presence through us. Gracious God, pour out your Spirit upon our church and upon all churches in our community and throughout this land that we might indeed allow that spirit to shape us and to form us so that we might look more and more like you because we are absolutely convinced that if there were more folks who looked like you, we would not have all of the chaos that we have seen in the last few weeks, that we would not have all the hatred and all the violence, uh, that we would put an end to uh, racism, that we would put an end to hatred. Enable us to be your people. Embolden us to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is the only thing that can truly change and shape and form us. So that we might make that positive, lasting difference in the world that you desire us to participate in. So that your kingdom might come here as it is in heaven. And we ask all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Let us continue as we sing the hymn of the Holy Spirit.
I don't know about you all, but um, I went to bed on Thursday night, um, and, and I go to bed late, so it's about midnight, uh, with a sickening feeling in my stomach. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but as I watched events unfold um, in Minneapolis, um, I just had this sickening feeling because I had seen this before. I could have predicted what was going to happen based on uh, events from the previous week, based on news conferences, based on uh, words that were said. Because you see, I've witnessed this before. As most of you know, um, I came from St. Louis and I was in the suburbs of St. Louis in 2014 when we watched a similar thing unfold. I got up on Friday morning and I opened up Acts chapter 2 and I began to prepare uh, this wonderful sermon to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and I knew as I struggled for the words and for what to say, um, I, I, I simply had to say, thank you, God, for not waiting until 5 o'clock on Sunday morning to tell me that that's not the sermon you're doing. Um, but he had to wrestle with me for a little bit, didn't he? Um, I, I shared with the staff to get their input and their feedback, um, uh, telling them they weren't going to have the last word, that we were going to count on the Spirit um, to guide uh, uh, where we go with today's message. But uh, again, I, I just had this sickening feeling as I, as I watched again. A and I recalled what we had experienced in 2014, and I remember all of the stuff on social media, all of the stuff being said uh, at different camps in St. Louis and seeing the division, the inability to come together and to have rational discussions. And so, at that time, I, I, I did not say anything. I didn't speak from the pulpit. Um, and I regretted it later. And so uh, today I'm going to take a different tack. And in fact, a couple of years later, in July uh, of uh, 2016, um, I'm guessing most of you don't remember the names Alton Sterling or Philandro Castile. Um, one of them was killed on July 4th um, in Louisiana, if I remember. The other was killed actually in Minnesota, uh, pulled over for a traffic stop, was told to reach in and get his registration, had a gun in the, in the glove box, and um, the, the police officer thought he was reaching for the gun instead of the registration and killed him. A few days after that, um, there was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Patrick, uh, I can't remember the last name, did I write that down? Patrick Zamaripa, who was an a African-American police officer, who was shot in Dallas in an ambush because people were angry about what was going on. On that Sunday, following all of those events, after a week of that, um, on July the 17th, I decided it was time to say something from the pulpit because Scripture is not silent, is it, on these issues? 
Um, and um, I will tell you that that message was received with mixed feelings. Uh, it wasn't one of those that everybody went out saying, thank you, Pastor, for that wonderful message. And so I suspect that the message today will not be as well received as maybe other ones, but it is a word that we need to hear. And as I, as I um, listened to pay attention uh, to the Spirit, I was drawn to a couple of scriptures, which I think are so relevant. Uh, first of all, from Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 through 17. Now, I'm going to remind you that this is, this is God talking to, um, to the people of God, to Israel and to Judah. This is the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And, and it's going to give you an idea about how upset God is because in verse 10, he doesn't say, hear the Lord's word, you leaders of Israel. He says, hear the, word, the Lord's word, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to God's teaching, you people of Gomorrah. Does that give you an idea of how ticked off he is at the people of Israel at the time? If he's um, equating them with Sodom and Gomorrah? And he goes on and he says, What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with your entirely burned offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, when you come to appear before me, who ask this from me, this trampling of my temple's court, stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly, I can't stand the wickedness with celebration. What is it he is so upset with? I hate your new moons and your festivals. They have become a burden that I am tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash and be cleaned. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. You know how many times the prophets, the prophets called the people of God, not just to worship God with their words, not just to come together and to go through rituals, not just to have a belief that God exists, but the prophets called the people to practice justice to stand up against injustice, to stand up for the oppressed and for the orphans and for the widows. In other words, for those who were marginalized in their society, for those who were defenseless and had no one to stand up for them, for the voiceless in their community. God tells the people of Israel, don't even bother to do your rituals. Don't even bother to show up at the temple with your sacrifices. Don't bother if you're not going to practice the justice and the way of life I call you to practice. 
over in Romans, another verse that um, I kept being drawn to. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 17. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal. And don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for, the e for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. Everyone with ears to hear, hear and respond to the word of God this day. As I, as I, as I read those, these passages, uh, it becomes ever so much clearer as I think of the events that happened throughout the last couple of weeks, um, that um, while it would be so easy to simply focus on the violence and the burning and the destruction that's going on in Minneapolis, it would be so easy to condemn that. It would be so easy to rail against that. But let's be honest. How many of you here... Um, are tempted to go participate in that? Anybody? Probably not, right? Probably not. So rather than focus on that, I'm, I mean, we all agree that that is, violence is not the way to respond in order to make your point, right? It is just not. If, if I were speaking to the folks of Minneapolis that participated in that, my message would be completely different today, but that's not who I am speaking to. And so rather than focus on that, I want to talk about some of the events that led up to what happened. And again, this is not to justify what happened. It's simply to get us to think. How about any of these names? Do any of these sound familiar to you? Brianna Taylor. Anybody recognize that name? Woman in Louisville, EMT worker. Um, um, that uh, was killed in her apartment by a mistaken raid, okay? African-American. Um, Ahmaud Aubrey, recognize that name? Gentleman was running through a neighborhood, a white neighborhood, and uh, a couple of uh, white people confronted him uh, with a gun, and he had the nerve to, to fight for the gun and end up shot. Um, Christian Cooper, that name sound familiar to anybody? Bird watching in Central Park, uh, black man, uh, a white woman, um, had let her dog go 
um, off the lease, which it shouldn't have been. And uh, he had the audacity to tell her to put it back on a leash, like the rules said. And um, she decided, well, I'll just call the police and tell them that this black man is threatening to kill me. George Floyd. We all know that story, right? We're familiar. We've seen the videos of that. What do we do with all of this stuff? What do we do with all of this stuff? Well, it, it's become obvious to me that um, whether we like it or not, we need to talk about racism in the church. I mean, I mean, from the pulpit. We need to have this conversation around racism, and it needs to go beyond just a Sunday morning, to be honest. As uncomfortable as this might be. In fact, I think folks, um, uh, in fact, most pastors tell you they'd rather talk about money and evangelism than talk about racism, especially in white rural churches. Not a popular subject. But you see, we need to talk more about this. And, and so I want to talk about uh, some myths that we have, and then I just want to offer maybe a way forward. I mean, I don't have the answer. I've got a lot of questions. But, but we do need to acknowledge, now I, I don't know about you all, probably, I'm just trying to think, I don't know if I thought racism was gone or not, but, but um, a lot of people from my generation, a lot of baby boomers, we've been convinced that racism doesn't exist. We've been convinced that since we don't talk about it, it doesn't really exist. Everything is good. We, we have good relationships with, with people of color, uh, and so all must be well. We, we think that racism doesn't exist because we don't talk about it. And in fact, uh, when I mention racism, uh, often folks will say, ah, there you go. There wouldn't be racism if you wouldn't talk about it. You're creating it by talking about it. I, I don't think so. I mean, look at the data, look at the statistics, uh, tell me that it does not exist. The other thing that we get in our, and I got to tell you, I am guilty of this, right? Racism um, is what the KKK and the white supremacists do. Yes, that's what racism is. That's racism. I certainly don't participate in any kind of uh, racism or racial bias. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that hateful, purposeful stuff that we call racism. And certainly that is racism. Those actions and those words. But that is not all there is to racism. We have to acknowledge that in our country and in our society, it has been something that we have struggled with from the very beginning of time. In our Declaration of Independence, we say all people are created equal. And then we turn around and we have slaves. And we don't give them the right to vote. But all people are created equal. Right? Racism. Um, uh, and then there's this, this other thing. We begin to talk about, well, you know, in our day and age, um, we have gone so far the other way that there's this reverse racism. Us, especially, um, 
us middle-aged white males are being discriminated against and experiencing racism. Okay. I might experience discrimination and prejudice, but I don't think I experience racism. And let me, let me just be clear. When I think about racism, I'm thinking it is prejudice with power. Does that make sense? Prejudice with power. In other words, um, I'm, a, I'm a white, I mean, white males are in control, are they not? CEOs, churches, government. Uh, I, I mean, um, we are the people with power. And so we really can't experience racism because the people of color have no power over us. Racism is when folks who don't have the power, people who are oppressed and marginalized, the strangers, the widows, the orphans, it is the folks who have no power and have a whole system that is stacked against them. And we, as white folks, don't want to acknowledge that. It is hard for you all to hear this today. But it is true if we look at society. It is true. Racism is not my problem. That's the one I tried on God this week. I said, no, 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 no. That's Minneapolis's problem. That's St. Louis's problem. I live in a rural community. Racism is not our problem. Really? Let me, let me just ask you this. If you heard about um, the um, Ahmad Aubrey, he's running down the street, okay? Some of the initial stuff said, well, he had run through a house and burglarized it, and then they stopped him. How many of us, when we heard that story, our first thought was, well, he shouldn't have been where he was, and it wouldn't have happened to him. Be honest. You know, I got to admit, now, and not so much about him being at the house, but he is running in a white neighborhood alone. And, and, and I got to tell you, my first thought was, what is he thinking about? What is, I mean, what did he expect to happen? Is that sad that that's my first thoughts? What were your first thoughts? Uh, allow that and reflect upon that. Christian Cooper, the woman who called the police on him, says, I'm not racist. Yeah, I said, some of your eyes are like, what? Now that one I really have a hard time. And she's a good person. I suspect that she was truly afraid of this man because he was black and he was large. Because it was something that was ingrained in her. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I give her too much of the benefit of that. Other folks say they, that she knew exactly what she was doing. But just think how that could have unfolded if they had not been gone by the time the uh, police arrived. Think of how that might have unfolded. See, these are things that we need to reflect upon in ourselves because we all have implicit bias, whether or not we want to acknowledge them or not. And it's important for us to reflect upon those. 
it's important for us to hear. Scripture tell us that we are to treat everyone as equal. We are to love other people as we want to be loved. Yes? So think about that. If we were to love people the way we want to be loved, would we just kind of stand by and watch some of these things happen without speaking up and saying something? I don't know. I find it hard to do. I cannot be silent any longer. I realize there may be some folks who are so upset with this message that uh, you don't come back for a few weeks. But I am unapologetic about sharing these words and about sharing what I think is scriptural on this day. And part of me is worried about the church. You know, there was a poll that was taken, and, and folks were given three choices. They were given, why do you think inequality exists? Specifically talking between whites and blacks. Is it because of individual responsibility and personal maturity? In other words, is it just the individual's issue? Is it um, due to unequal education? Or is it due to unjust systems and discrimination? And they did this poll. They looked at four different groups. Um, white folks who were non-Christian kind of fell somewhere in between um, unequal education, and it was all just about the individual and their responsibility. Black non-Christians fell somewhere over here between unequal education and unjust systems. Now, here's the thing that blew my mind away. White Christians and black Christians. Now, I would think that Christians would draw closer together in their views, but the reality is, is that white Christians, they were even further to the left. They're absolutely convinced that inequality is all about personal responsibility and or individual responsibility and personal maturity. In other words, it's all the result of that person and their life and who they are. It has nothing to do with systems. Black Christians were way over here on the other side. And they see inequality as being mainly about unjust systems that exist in our society. The church, the church rather than Closing this divide seems to be enlarging this divide. And here's the problem. We talk over one another, past each other. We don't have conversation with each other, do we? And for some of us in rural areas, that conversation may have to be through um, online or through books because there aren't a lot of people of color in our community, correct? But that does not mean it is not our problem. It does not mean that there are not things that we can do. And so here's, here's just some suggestions I have, which I, I think are scriptural. But I think the reality is, is that we need, we need to be willing to talk about it. We need to be willing to talk. We need to be willing to truly reflect upon our own implicit biases. Okay? Uh, let me, after I gave that July sermon, we, we headed to Kentucky for vacation. Okay? Um, 
we're eating in an ice cream shop. With, uh, we're there with the whole family. Um, I'm the last one to scoot in, so I scoot in, and, and uh, there is a, a black couple here next. And when I scooted in, uh, my butt went right in, the, in front of her face, me not knowing this, okay? Um, and um, a few minutes later, she gets up and leaves, and the gentleman taps me on the shoulder, and, and he says something to the effect, these, these are not his exact words, I'm sure, but they're what I heard, okay? But he kind of taps on my shoulder. He says something like, you ruined my date, you racist person. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He proceeds to tell me what I had done. Now, when he scooted over, I just reflexively put my arm around him. Um, but he told me what I had done, okay? Probably a year or two earlier, I'll finish that story in a minute, but probably a, a year or two earlier, uh, sometime after the Ferguson incident where they had the riots in Ferguson, we were in Lexington again, um, and an elderly white gentleman came up to me. He learned that I was from St. Louis, and, and he begins to talk to me, and, and, um, and he begins to talk to me about the riots, and he begins to say something to the effect of, of um, oh, that must be really difficult, uh, what's going on in St. Louis. I mean, I mean, those black people, they're just, they're just demonstrating who they, they just get what they deserve because they're demonstrating the kind of people they are because they're nothing but animals burning down the town. Now, I find it interesting that both of these people made the same assumption about me. One was white and one was black. They both made the assumption that I, because I'm white and I'm from St. Louis, I must be anti-black. Guess what? Both of them were disappointed to find out I wasn't. The, the elder gentleman, I, 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 I tried to gently have a conversation with him about, well, I didn't quite see things the way he saw them. And the uh, young black man, I said, I'm not racist, I'm just rude. Do you want me to go out and apologize to your girlfriend? And I think he said something like, black lives matter. And I said, yeah, they do. And he's like, well, you're no fun. And he left and said, we're cool, man. We're cool. See, we need to talk about racism. And my reflection on both of those is, um, what would make uh, this black man think that just because I was rude, I was racist? And what would make this elderly gentleman think that just because I was St. Louis and experienced these events in Ferguson uh, that I um, apparently disliked black people as much as he did. What is it? They, neither of them knew me. Other than, guess what? I got white skin. Y'all probably didn't notice that. What else did, what could it have been? We need to talk. And we need to be in dialogue, and we need to hear each other's experiences. And we need to understand how our own biases have an effect on people. And we need to reflect if those biases need to be shaped and formed. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book now. As, as these events have unfolded this week, there's, I've done a couple of things. One is I picked up the book called White Fragility. I've read about half of it. It's a hard book. 
Um, it talks about white privilege a lot. Um, it really challenges me and pushes my buttons, so I got to read it slow. Uh, but but I invite you all. Maybe uh, maybe Jennifer or um, Joellen can um, uh, help us, and maybe we could put together a book club and look at it. We have to read it slow, though, people. Um, some of it's hard to take, and some of it, um, I, I have to ask myself, why am I pushing back so resistance against what this, um, this woman is writing about um, white fragility? Basically, what she's, uh, at least as I get it, what she's saying is, we get uncomfortable when we talk about race. Y'all aren't experiencing that now, are you? Shake your head yes. We, we get uncomfortable when folks talk about it. We get uncomfortable talking about it. But we need to learn to talk about it. The other thing, we need, we need to learn to listen to others' experiences. And we need to, to listen to the experiences of people of color. I tell you, one of the greatest things I realized that I have missed since coming to here, um, my, um, my worship leader was a person of color. She was Puerto Rican. Um, and we met on a weekly basis over the last couple of years that I was there. Maybe it was longer than that. A and I got to tell you, she shaped and formed me. She, she's one of the best spiritual friends I've ever had. Because uh, she was open with me about what she had experienced and how she had experienced life. And it truly opened my eyes to a whole new world that I have never even dreamed existed. It caused me to rethink about my own behaviors and attitudes. And... Um, I found myself this week, I just wanted to pick up the phone and give her a call to get her take on the events of the last few weeks. But I abided by what I'm supposed to do when I leave and did not do that. Um, the other thing that I have done is I've joined a group called Be the Bridge on Facebook. It is a place where um, people of color and white people are invited to join together in dialogue. And it is a place where people of color have the privileged voices or the preferred voices. Hmm. That's, that's odd, isn't it? It's a place where they are invited to speak out with all of the emotion um, and share their experiences without white folks like me judging or correcting or invalidating those experiences. Um, I've been a part of that group for less than 24 hours, but um, I've already had my eyes open about how quickly, how quickly we as white people can be uh, to, to correct someone and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way or you got this wrong. I don't know about you. When you tell me I've got, when I give you, when I tell you what my experience is and you say no, I'm like, uh, excuse me, were you there? Yeah? Uh, but it's important for us to find those places where we can hear ethnic and minority voices in their rawness. Do you hear me? 
in their rawness. Because most of the time, except when things arise like we have, or maybe for a few talking heads, um, it's sanitized for us because we can only handle so much. We need to develop empathy. Empathy is being able to, um, to feel what someone else is feeling, to, to, to begin to see things from other people's perspectives. Um, psychologist uh, Douglas Labeer uh, has done a study, and empathy is on the decline in the United States. We are becoming a less empathetic people. We are unable to feel what people who disagree with us feel. We're unable to put ourselves in the shoes. We would rather point and yell and tell them they're wrong or walk away or do anything other than try to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We need to work on that. We need to be more empathetic. And we need to be willing to speak out. When there is injustice, we need to be willing to speak out. I applaud the folks in our congregation. Jennifer, Ensign, Ann Clark. I applaud them as they spoke out against what happened to George Floyd. They spoke out. They shared information that was good. And then I think there was somebody, oh, uh, um, Smith. Tammy shared an excellent post also um, about a black man um, who uh, tells the story. He's lived in a neighborhood for three or four years. Um, he never walks his neighbor. He never walks in his neighborhood alone. He always takes his young daughter or his dog because he's not going to make the mistake, if that's what we call it, that Ahmaud Aubrey made and be a lone black man in a white neighborhood. Is that sad? I don't know about you. I have never had to worry about where I went. I've never had to worry about where I might go. I've never had to worry about the things that people of color have to worry about. Uh, folks, I don't intend to chastise. I intend to ask me and you these questions to reflect upon. To begin to ask ourselves, even though we live in rural America, isn't there things that we can do to limit the perpetuation of racism in our country? Can we simply talk about it? Can we hear the stories of people who don't look like us? Can we have empathy when we hear those? And can we speak up when injustice is as clear as it was in the case of George Floyd and Christian Cooper and Ahmaud Aubrey? Can we speak up and say that is wrong? Because you know what? Racism will not go away until the white people, me, 
begin to have conversations because we are the people with power. Just like we were the only ones who could say, you could vote, right? It was only white men that said you could vote, women could vote, yes? We are the only ones that can truly make a difference. It is our problem. It is not their problem. And God says, I believe it is our problem. Hear these words of Isaiah again. This time from the message. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Don't just talk about justice. Help those who are down and out. Stand up for the homeless and the marginalized. Go to bat for the defenseless. I don't know how the prophet could be clear. I don't know why we think that would only be for Israel in their days and not for us in our days. Jesus came and said, The Spirit is upon me. I have come to set the oppressed free and the captives free. Is that not what we are called to do? Luke 6.31 Treat people in the same way you want to be treated. Is that what is going on? And if it's not, let us call it out. I hope that you hear these words with a measure of grace this day. But I hope that you allow the Spirit to work within you so that you might truly hear these words and hear how God is speaking to his church today. And speaking to us. I don't want to see this pattern again. Twice in five years is too much. Can we begin to make a difference? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God. We thank you for your presence with us. Indeed, Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come. For it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can do these things. It is only by your Holy Spirit that we can acknowledge our own implicit bias. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we can sit and listen to hard stories from people that we would prefer not to know. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we can hear them with a sense of empathy instead of judgment. And it is only by the Holy Spirit that we can know and be empowered to speak out against injustice and to stand up for the oppressed and to be there for the voiceless, and to use the influence that we have to their benefit so that they may be set free. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to take this time to reflect. I invite you to take this time to continue to support the ministries of the church through your ties, through your ministries, and through offering your very selves to God.